Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to Filmmaking Conversations with me, Damien Swaby. Perseverance is the key. Do you have contacts that can help you on your journey? My contacts have not come through a person it's come through i mean it hasn't come through an agency or a booking a booking agency or a management company it's come through my own contacts what you just heard was a snippet from jazz musician and documentary filmmaker tony janotta tony shot edited produced and directed her debut documentary voices of the homeless which was a special live performance presented in Ventura, California in 2010. It brought together people who had experienced homelessness with jazz improvisers. In this performance, however, the homeless were the stars of the show and the jazz improvisers were their backup band. All the stories spoken in their own special way were written by homeless storytellers. All music with the exception of High Tide, Low Tide, written and performed by storyteller Dan Flowers, was original and played in the moment by some of the best jazz musicians in Los Angeles. I was drawn to this documentary for many reasons. It's a unique, important documentary. It focuses on a subject close to my heart. It shows the unique nature of some homeless people. They are three-dimensional human beings who want to be heard. Tony is a jazz musician who I admire dearly. Enough of me. Let's hear what Tony has to say. When I was in college, I was a violinist. So in college, people, you know, jazz is the music. They say jazz is the musician's music. And if you're studying music, music theory, the really lush harmonies are either classical, which is pretty stiff, uh, or it's jazz, which takes those classical harmonies. And instead of saying, say, a diminished fifth, you'd say a flat five. And it was sort of the, for me, it was sort of the same thing, but, it, it was like taking what's up in your head 
and bringing it down into your body. And as a dancer, because I started as a dancer, that, that really resonated with me. And also, my dad was a jazz lover. He had perfect pitch. He started on piano. He played clarinet. Uh, and he absolutely loved jazz. He loved big band jazz. And uh, we, did, we weren't real, real close. So music was a way that brought us together. And I think between the two of those, that's why I resonated to jazz, because it opened up relation, a relationship for me with my father. And because I just loved it, you know, beyond Beyond those two reasons, all I can say is I just love it. When I was in college, you had to have a second instrument, so I sang. And I played in clubs while I was in school, but I had to sing top 40, which wasn't the end of the world. It's just, you know, I longed to sing the music I loved. Then I left music for many, many years, and I was a struggling actress. And when I left, um, I didn't really leave the business. It was just, I couldn't get arrested. <laughs> so, so I went back to music so that I could have a means of expression. And when I went back to music, I said to myself, this time it's for me. I'd also been on the road with top 40 bands when I was younger, I didn't like it. I didn't like the music. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this time I said jazz or bust. And pretty soon I was writing tunes again. And then the last project was a, a musical suite I wrote. And I just went back to music. I went back to the music I loved. And I took a day job. Great. Great. What was, what was the day job? Uh, law firms. Oh, okay. A really proper day job. Okay, good on you. <laughs> yes, okay. a, proper, a proper day job with health insurance and time off. And so because I worked a regular job, instead of taking vacations, I would fly to Europe and do a short, short tour. Amazing. And then I, you know, maybe I was there for a couple of weeks or a week, or if I had more time, I'd be there longer. And then maybe I'd come back on a Friday and Monday I was back at my desk. And here's a snippet from one of Tony's brilliant songs. And this track is called Ventura. Street 
So jazz in Los Angeles, you'll meet people and they're the greatest players. Not all of them are like this, but I once tried to have a relationship. Actually, the guy was English. I'm not yeah. going to say his name because go for he's it. done very well for himself. Oh, go um, for it. Tell us. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was a lovely player, but he was not a music purist. He wanted to hit the ground and run to become a star. Okay. And recognition was extremely important to him. Recognition of him as a musician, as opposed to recognition of the music that he serves. You know what I mean? Yes. Because you either serve um, the art form or you try to use the art form to become recognized. Yeah. And that led him to musical forms that I was having a hard time respecting because I felt that I knew this better part of him, which is really a terrible way to try to communicate in a relationship, yeah. unless you're really, really super good friends. And that was one of the many reasons it was sort of like a train wreck as opposed to a relationship. And I would say he got what he wanted, and so did I. I'm not famous, but he's very well known in certain circles. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we all have to follow the beat of our own drummer. And my beat was the form. And when I studied acting, it was with somebody who was um, in service of the form. You know, so she, I can say her name, she was wonderful. And she's actually become a quite a well-known teacher in the United States. Her name is Susan Batson. And so for Susan, you know, you, you, you were trying to get out of the way of of you know becoming a performer you were an actor and i know yeah. you're an actor and so your acting had to come from an honest place a place that belonged to you and you had to recognize it and you, you know how it is um they say that the you the american way of acting is coming from the inside out and correct me if i'm wrong Okay. The the British way of acting is from the outside in. And okay. I have to say, I do like the outside in. I do like the British way better because until I put on the coat and the hat and all these silly things that um, say the, the Stanislavski or the yeah. Strasbourg way of, of acting, they, they just go, oh, stop that. <laughs> Uh, but I really, I really like that. And maybe, I don't know, I hope I'm not talking all over the place. No, you're not. Maybe because I started as a dancer, I needed to put it into my body before I could put it into my brain. Oh, interesting. And a lot of times, uh, the actors that I was friends with there was sort of a wall between us because it was sort of a mental process. And with musicians, 
it's an intuitive process. When I was in Los Angeles, getting back to your question, when I was in Los Angeles, I didn't find it hard to meet really great musicians because they understood that as a singer, I was stuck in the leader position. So I would play these clubs. I'd hardly ever make money, but I'd play the clubs. The clubs would say, how many people can you bring in? I would go, if I made an album, I would go to the, um, uh, the jazz stations myself. You know, I'd bring a bottle of wine and uh, my CD and, uh, <laughs> you know, shake a hand. And those were all the times that I was taking time off of work if I had a vacation day or maybe I'd take a sick day. But they would, they would play with me, first of all, because I'd pay them. And okay. I'd say, this is the gig. This is the money. And if it was a, a, a nice gig, like um, Le Café, which is not in Los Angeles anymore, but that was a jazz room. So I would go in there and definitely I would lose money. But it would be a full house and it would be a quintet. And it would just, it would, it would be a great experience. Finally, I moved out of Los Angeles and I came up to uh, Ventura, city of Ventura in California. And I started working with people who were more in it for the love of it. Maybe they also had day jobs. Maybe they didn't have day jobs, but they were definitely in it for the love of it. So it became a lot more creative and the venues that I would play up here, I would start making money. They would treat you much better than you, you were treated in Los Angeles because there's, a, there's like a genius on every corner in Los Angeles. Okay. In the, in the city of Ventura, let's put it this way, I left the San Fernando Valley. When I left, there, were, there was a million people who lived there. I came up to the city of Ventura and there was and still is 150,000 people here. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's a lot easier to stand out. Yes. A lot easier. But, there, but there's much less of a jazz community. It's smaller. And some people you know, the big jazz community, it seems to me, is sort of the new age, easy listen jazz, which is very nice, but it's not, it, you know, it, for me, it's missing the guts, and they're great players. The players who, who are in that genre, they're great players, but I can't listen to it for long because those harmonic juices and the soul of the music it's just it's just not there for me and here's audio taken from the trailer of the film voices of the homeless well it's like this we all have to eat Everybody needs to sleep. Everybody wants to stay warm. You know, 
just fighting over having more and more and more you know how much Donald Trump how much can you have till you're happy <laughs> how much can you have till you're happy hearing these stories made me very aware of these individuals and what they have been through you see homeless people all the time but you don't always get an opportunity to hear what they're about you know that they're hurting but we don't get to know where they came from and this really gave them a lot of value and it gave me a lot of respect for them Hi, my name is Danny Randazzo and I volunteer currently with Family to Family, which is a nonprofit organization. It's a faith-based organization that feeds um, the hungry of uh, Ventura County. I learned about uh, Voices of the Homeless through this organization and went to the performance. Um, taking two extremely different um, genres, one being homeless and one being jazz music, I mean, to put those two together, you know, who knew? of the homeless was a story being told of why are they homeless how did this happen what took them there what are they like what's it so that gave me that experience that chance to try to paint what I thought worked with that I tried my best just to be in that moment only never mind whatever I did in the past or whatever I might do in the future this moment this guy is talking about his homelessness his living on the street what do I hear from that? What do I feel from that? What color is that? What shade is that? What, you know. When I got to the city of Ventura, I found something that they do in Los Angeles, but they're hard, it's harder to hear about. I found arts grants. And I was amazed with these arts grants. And I think I was just flipping through channels and there was a short sort of documentary on these City of Ventura art, art, art fellowship grants. I thought, wow, I should look into that. So I did. And I got my first arts grant in Ventura called um, art, uh, an art fellowship. I think it was just called a fellowship grant. And I had enough money to make a, a CD. And I was starting to get bored with the music I was doing. So now I started writing more and I wrote eight out of the 12 tunes. Uh, and that was my last CD called, Is It Magic? Uh, and after that grant, I started getting all these emails from other grants all around the country and all around uh, the state of California. So the next one I found out about was another local grant, and it was the Ventura County Arts Council. The city of Ventura, they just gave you money at the time that they had it to give. 
And their reasoning was, if we're going to make Ventura into an artistic destination, then we want to support the local artists so that they can create, so that people will come to the art that they're making and they'll help us build a city. So I remember they said, you know, just, you know, here's this money, pay your rent with it. We don't care. We just want you to keep creating art. And I thought, what an awesome grant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The second one was not so easy. You had to do something for the community and you had to partner with an, an, an arts or not an arts organization, but an organization in the community that helped raise the level of the community. And that was called um, an Artist in the Community Partnership Grant. And I thought, okay, I'm a jazz vocalist and I write. What in the world could I do? The people who were getting grants were teachers and they would do art installations and they'd paint a bunch of gorgeous paintings of a fire that almost decimated the city. But I thought, I'm, I'm spoken. I'm, I'm a singer. What do I do? So I'm leaving my apartment and I'm seeing this homeless guy on the street. And he looks like he's got a guitar on his back. And I said, Tony, it's a sign. Don't be afraid of him. Say hello. So, and I was, I was very afraid of him because at that time, the homeless were over there and I was safe over here. So I rolled down my window and I said, hey, good morning. Is that a guitar on your back? And he said, yeah, it is. I said, oh, awesome, you're a musician. He goes, yeah. You know, and it started a conversation and I said, hmm, I wonder what this guy's story is. Because I write. Yeah. So I wondered what the story was. So I started looking up organizations that serve the homeless in the city of Ventura. And at that time, I found, God, what was their name? Oh, I should have notes in front of me. No, no, it's fine. All right. So I found this uh, organization, and I walked up to this guy who was coming out of his car, and I said, excuse me, but I need to talk to somebody about doing a project to help the homeless. And so I talked to him. And he was very open and nice. I think I started to cry because I hadn't a clue what I was doing. And I often go into projects where I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And I said, "Um, I'm thinking of putting, say, a quartet of improvisers behind storytellers of of homeless people that are housed now, that have been homeless, that are still homeless, uh, that are living in tents or living in their car, wherever they're living, they've had the homeless experience. 
And all they have to do is be teachers. They have to educate the people who are going to come to this concert, which my arts grant uh, is going to produce. And in the moment, the musicians are going to create a bit of music to their stories. So then I started, because the project itself took a year, close to a year, just to build relationships, mm. get to know some, make some homeless friends, and start serving. So before my day job, I would go to this organization, and for like 45 minutes, I would serve coffee. And they would, that was a place where you could get coffee. You could, they had a little library. You could read. If you got in line, you could take a shower, which is very important because, you know, if you're on yeah. the street, there's no place to go to the bathroom. There's no place to get a cup of coffee. Everybody is afraid of you and there's no place to shower. And they also had um, places to wash your clothes. So I was there for the better part of a year and I started making friends with other organizations that serve the homeless. And they took me to one place was called River Haven and they have these sort of geodesic domes they, uh, in a part of Ventura where you can go you're on a wait list and then you can go and live in those in that housing and i think it's community where you can cook your food and community where you can take a shower and use the bathroom and so i found these different organizations people who ran these organizations and who helped me connect to people who were either at the time homeless or who had experienced homelessness. And then I would pitch the project to them. So that took months and months and months and months and months. And finally, the musicians, that was easy. Yeah. And I had a budget. So I, that's what I presented. It was almost like, you know, you had to present something to an appellate court. I mean, huh. it was thick that the first a submission for an arts grant was pretty simple. It was maybe 20 pages. This next one had a table of contents and letters and blah, 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 and a lot of writing. And so the second one, I, I won the second arts grant. And then I hired the musicians. They really loved the project. I hired, because um, everybody got paid. And I hired the homeless storytellers. That was a little more difficult because they didn't want to get up in front of people and say, hi, I've been homeless. Yeah. Or hi, I'm homeless. <laughs> but some of them knew that they had something to say. And I said, this is your opportunity to educate people. Now, the audience that day was filled with Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Social workers, people from the homeless community, people who cared about the homeless community, but the people that I was really trying to reach, they didn't come, right? The, I won't, I won't say, I won't say that demographic. I'll go for it. No, it's okay? Go say it, please. Say it? Yeah. Uh, white, white Christian Republicans. Oh, okay. And my, uh, my partner in crime, his name is uh, Todd Gaynor. He was at the um, Project Understanding. That was the name of it. The first homeless organization that I worked with where I served coffee. After that, I started, after that project was over, I wanted to still stay, stay connected with the homeless community. And so I went to family to family and I would serve lunch once a month. But anyway, Todd and I, uh, he took me to the city of Ventura where he had a contact. And I told that guy about the project. And he was really funny. He said, okay, well, if you need any help, let me know. Uh, I'm, my job is to connect people, resources with the homeless community. And he took this little bitty post and he goes, but the problem you're going to have is reaching these people. And he wrote it on a little post-it. <laughs> and it said, white Christian Republicans. And I thought, really? <laughs> that, was, that was in 2010. And I had no idea how that in our country would blossom to... Um, to this huge separation we have now. We have, uh, of course, I'm a Democrat, in case you can't tell. I thought um, so. Huh? I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I care about social programs. I believe, as one of the homeless storytellers said in the documentary, and, uh, and he said, you know, if you lift everybody up from the ground, then the whole package rises. Mm. And Kevin Fuka, Fukagawa, the, the keyboard player who, who is in the documentary and who improvised that day, he said, if one branch of the tree has a disease, if that branch doesn't get healed, the entire tree will get sick. So they understand the, the community mentality 
of if you help one, you help all. So I was able to get the grant, get the musicians, and get uh, the storytellers who were who had the courage to tell their stories. That's one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is the fact that these people were able to trust you with their stories. What did you do in particular? Because it's not always easy to get trust. So one of the things I've experienced somewhat, not that much, I've been quite lucky myself, is that if you're not from the same type of scenario or background as others, they're less likely to be trustworthy of you. So what did you do and how did you go about getting their trust to such a great extent? First of all, spending the time, you keep showing up. You keep showing that it matters to you and you, you make the effort to connect because their experience, especially if they're still on the street, is if they reach out to you, you're going to either ignore them or, or Be smack horrible. them yeah. or look the other way or do something that is demeaning. And also, if you show you care, the other part of it, I believe, is that there's gurus, gurus on the street. These people have had to live in their cars, live on a couch, live on the, sleep on the cement, sleep on the dirt, yeah. under a tent. And so their connection to the earth and the dirt or the cement, I don't know, it has caused them to become extremely intuitive. Now, a lot of, um, a lot of them out there are still struggling with alcohol and drug problems. A lot of them, because in this country we've forgotten about them, thanks to certain, okay, white Republican presidents who have cut off funding so now their mental illness is getting worse and we're becoming more afraid of them. But they don't have help. They don't have somebody saying, hey, take your medication. Trust me, it's gonna help. Hey, how you doing? You know, just yeah. getting out there and being with them. And I believe that they could tell intuitively, especially when they saw me showing up so much, that I meant it. And that I wasn't a jerk. Completely amazed by everything Tony had to say. At this point, I thought to myself, how did Tony get an education as a filmmaker? As you know, some of us go on YouTube, some of us take courses, and some of us, our education is based upon what we learn online. Tony had a slightly different experience, but nonetheless, it was a great one. So I was a member, I joined my local public access station and it's called today it's called caps media at the time it was called caps tv and so caps media not not at the moment because we're still not open up yet because of the pandemic um but they were they taught you how to run a camera they taught you how to edit and i had no money because by that time I'd spent it all. You know, I, I, the, the money I had, I won like $4,000. So that $4,000 was, 
went to paying the homeless, their storytelling fee, the musicians, their fee, blah, 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 the sound. I did have a crew I hired that I met through Caps TV and they shot the live performance. Yeah. Um, but I went out and I shot the interviews and I edited the whole, I pieced it all together. Um, and it's, and I think because of that, technically it's far from perfect. First of all, because I wasn't completely sure what I was doing. And also because at the time, at the time of the actual, um, concert, I, my mind was on so many things. I was the master of ceremonies. I was trying to make mm -hmm. sure that the homeless were still feeling okay and comforted and, you know, cause they're going to be scared. Getting, you know, they, and one guy, one guy goes, we had one rehearsal and one performance. And one guy, three dogs, Mike, he goes, no, 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 I'll just talk. No, 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 no. You can't just talk because <laughs> you can't just talk. It, yeah. it's, it, you're going to be nervous. And luckily he found that out at rehearsal because he was all over the place and he experienced his nervousness. Anyway, so um, uh, when I put it all together that day, I did not have the focus to say to the film crew, do not light the whole thing, only light the performance. Yes. Yeah. So he lit for the back. So you saw people walking around. I didn't want that. Okay. And the people in front were overexposed. I didn't want that either. But he was trying to light everything. And I didn't have the knowledge or the presence of mind to, to tell him exactly what I wanted and to look in his camera to make sure that he was not, not lighting for the background as well as the foreground, if I'm even saying that right. I see what you mean. I completely understand what you mean. And what I will say is you said it, it wasn't perfect or it wasn't the, the way you entirely wanted it. But one of the things I noticed from watching the film was it had a sense of video journalism to it. Not necessarily just like um, a documentary. And that, that was great. You know, that kind of raw, upfront, honest nature that you put towards the film is amazing. And again, it, I think it's absolutely fantastic that you made that. I mean, it's no, it's no mean feat to, to learn the skills and then make a good documentary or to even make a watchable one straight away. So for you to have done that, you know, that's a, a great lesson for a lot of people that are going to be watching this i'm sorry listening to this podcast because everybody can learn the skills but it's what you do with them that matters and for you to have done what you've done i really take you know my hat off to you it would have been for what you've learned it would have been so much easier for you to potentially have just said i'm going to do a documentary about a jazz musician because that's your world that's your connection and that's who you that's what you're involved in but to go out of your you know comfort zone in that way, that's like very, very bold, very bold. Another no-holds-barred filmmaker has the same type of spirit that Tony has. Sometimes you've just got to be prepared to make your documentary, tell your story, and get it out there.
Please help me welcome John Singleton. I've made nine movies uh, as a director. I produced two, success, uh, two independent films. Uh, one of them was wildly, wildly uh, commercially and critically successful um, and garnered uh, two Oscar nominations, winning one. And um, I still ended up getting fucked by the studio. So I guess that that kind of does make me an independent filmmaker, if only independently minded. We're all in this whole thing of trying to get our vision out to the world. And there's no uh, paradigm set in stone how to do that. You know, and I always feel that it's kind of like a artist of any type should be like the jazz musicians were, where they interact with each other and share ideas and share concepts and, and share information about how to get to the next level. I, I knew in the back of my mind um, that I would probably be an independent filmmaker because for what I wanted to do and the definition of what I wanted to do at the time was there was no real, real precedent for anybody sustaining a career like that. So I had to just, um, I had to just think in terms of like, I'm gonna learn how to make films, initially write them and make them myself. Whenever I come to these things and I speak at them and I, I uh, and take part in them, I'm always reminded of when I was first starting and how I was so eager and excited to get into the business and I was trying to navigate it and I didn't know how to do it and stuff, right? I still was interning on the Columbia lot, uh, Burbank Studios, um, and I was going around and I would say, you know, hey, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm in film school and I'm aspiring to be a director and everybody laughed at me and everything, but I would go and pitch this movie, this little movie, and, um, you know, um, this script fell in the hands of Stephanie Elaine, who was here uh, this evening, works with Film Independent, and she went to, to her peers and stuff, and she jumped on tables and said, we gotta make this movie, this is what's happening now. You know, she was, a, she was, she was the type of executive that doesn't really exist anymore because she had an opinion, and, and she put her nose to what was going on out in the world, and she was like, this is not being reflected in, in film right now, and this is, I think we should do this. I don't know how many people are, are black and from LA here now, right? But I have this saying where um, a lot of young black men in LA, even if they're small, you know, they can be the smallest dude, because in our neighborhoods, we were most afraid of the smallest dude on the block, because he, he just had no fucking fear, right? <laughs> right, you know. Um, the small guys, they puff their chests out so big to make themselves bigger, right? You know what I mean? Like, dudes that are like six-something, they'd be like, I'm not gonna fuck with little Chris, right? <laughs> and so, that's the way, that's the way you have to be in Hollywood. You have to be like, you know, like, this, what I'm doing is the shit. You know, I see this on the faces of all these people that I meet, you know, the hunger and the, the, the passion and the zeal to actually get their, their visions out to the world. And, um, and I still respect that. Nobody cares about your little movie, okay? And I wanna say that to all of you, nobody cares about your little movie. You have to care about your little movie. If no one else, it's like one of those things where like um, a self-esteem builder, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, like, you know, I care about my little movie, no matter what kind of vision, no matter what kind of um, thing you're coming from. Make it or shoot it, and don't give a fuck. That's my advice. <laughs> when we make a documentary, we sometimes think to ourselves, did we do the people in the documentary justice? Did we serve the story well? Tony had a few things to say about the people in the documentary 
regarding whether they liked it or not? They were happy. And uh, I had several screenings. One of them was at the library, the, the library downtown Ventura. And I was able to get, uh, I can't remember who I was. I, I think I was able to get one musician and one of the homeless storytellers. And then Three Dog, he was, he was in the back. He, he wanted to be there, but he had uh, PTSD because he was a Vietnam vet. So he didn't like being in an, in, he, he's one of these sleep outside and always will. Okay. Um, so they were really happy about being able to be in front of people, to tell their story and to be heard. And that was the, the point. Jazz musicians, because they're, they improvise so much, they really know how to listen. And the homeless deserve to be heard so that the rest of us don't, don't paint them with the same brush. So their reaction was, um, they, you know, when I used to visit Three Dog on the pier, because he fishes a lot, he'd say, he'd introduce me to his friends as his producer. Ah, okay. <laughs> Good so they, they liked the attention because they weren't forgotten anymore. The homeless storytellers, they were the stars. They were what it was about. And it was on them to educate the audience. The idea of making another documentary kind of makes me <laughs> weak in the knees because, <laughs> I mean, you know, it took two more, two more years to finish the documentary because I was in charge of all of it and I was, my hands were on it all. Mm asking questions to the staff who helped me figure out which button to push on the computer. Yeah. Um, I, I thought about it for a minute and then I just ch chased the ideas away because it's, because without money, without Sorry. being able to hire people who are good with sound and good mm. with video, it's just so overwhelming. I don't know. Maybe I do more about the homeless community or, okay. or jazz or, or music. I okay. wish I had an answer. I don't know. No, that's a, that, is the, that is the answer you don't know, which is completely fair and I completely understand. And many people listening will say, without the money, sometimes it really, really can be hard. That, that there is no ifs or buts. You know, there's many self-shooters out there and people who can um, do these things by themselves or with a friend or with one other or a small crew, large crew, whatever. But ultimately, uh, the budget can really affect what you make, how you make and why you make it. So for a lot of us, it is, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how, you're, you're such, you're such, uh, when I was listening to your other podcasts, I love the insightful questions you were asking. Oh, thank you. And I thought, this guy is an actor, he's a filmmaker, and he's a podcaster, and he's putting that all together. And so I'm kind of all agog at what you do. So, oh, thank and, you. And especially, 
I've seen some of the people you've had on your program, and I'm clueless how you even found me because uh, I released this in 2012. I'm I'm beyond honored that that the documentary would get any um, that anybody would notice it all these years later. So I'm very very grateful to you. Oh, thank you. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm always on the hunt for great documentaries. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, con I'm consistently looking out for them or whatever, you know. And the great thing about the internet now is a lot easier than maybe years before I'd go to the library and there'd only be like maybe a small section. And um, wow. especially like world, world films or world documentary, you get like one shelf, seven films, take your pick. But luckily wow. now I can, um, I can find all the things that I really want. And will you have any music out for us soon? Um, the last project I did took a took four years, and it's um, it's on my website uh, as the documentary is as well. It's called "My Little Heart Ruthie," uh, and that music I put that out in 2017, and that was uh, a, a children's book about. Uh, isolation oh. and ha having been harmed and then coming out realizing you never did you hadn't done anything wrong but you had the wrong audience you were playing to the wrong audience so it was a, a musical suite that was narrated uh, and that took a long time so you know I don't know what the next one will be I'd love to write again uh, and I'd love to do a lot of things again. Uh, mm. It takes money. Yeah. So the pandemic has put me behind. And uh, I don't, the only thing that is recent is I started a video series called Everybody Sings because I'm a vocal instructor. And it, the idea is to reach Mr. and Mrs. Everybody out there who aren't looking to become professionals, but they would love to sing, they think they stink, and these are little video vin vignettes that I just shoot of myself, okay. and a friend, friend of mine edits, and it talks about getting out there, singing, having the courage to do it, stage fright, breathing, placing your tone, and it's mm. just all free videos to try and reach people and encourage everybody who wants to to sing more and there you have it tony is a serious creative individual and before she even learned about the filmmaking process the idea she had the creative idea she had to make her documentary was already in progress in her mind in this digital age, we have to embrace what we have in front of us to go out and make our stories because there's so much around us and there's so much available. In the show notes, I'm going to put all the information that you'll need to watch Tony's documentary, to listen to her music and find out even more about her. But before that, before you listen, find out and watch her documentary, to play us out is another one of her brilliant songs, 
my favourite song from her, Square Peg, Round Hole. Square peg, round hole, silver not gold. I say let go, he says hold. Run free, stay safe, live life but without taste. Diamonds and rhinestones, it's warm then it's cold. Rushing, we try to cage love, weak in the knees. Suffering from thrill disease, yearning for what we really need. You and me, we're free. New dawn, new day, new chance to say. Hug the Love for me, love for you Lending and mending Not one heart but two We're in the game There's no shame Hear the sound It's all around Love's for me And you Blending and mending, not one heart but two. 